Hello, Doug. We're on the boulevard. Hey, Karen. Yep, here we are on the boulevard. Got some things that we've seen. So what's going on in your world? Oh, nothing much. Um, oh, you know what? I actually meant to sort of bring this up. Um, can I do a quick addendum uh, on Hannibal? Because I know we talked about that last time. Yeah, I like that you ask. Like, I would never say no. Oh, no, okay. you must not speak. Yeah, yeah. But oh, I, I, I realized I'm very I interested. So you, we talked about it like two or three weeks ago. And yep. you guys had seen like a few episodes of the first season, maybe half of the first season. Yep. Or was it more? No, I think we had seen, uh, I, I think that sounds about right, but probably like half, a little bit more than half of the first season. And I was in love with the show. And you've seen more now, I guess. I right? have now finished the season because I, we did part, partly because, you know, I could not stop, like I, it was one of the, where I was like, I have to see what happens next. I have to see what happens next. Um, and then partly because we heard that the, it was coming off of streaming in June. So it was kind of like, Oh, so watching. all of a sudden it was urgent. Yeah, it became really urgent. And so we finished it. Um, I do not understand how a show that had such great first two seasons turned into the clusterfuck of season three. And the only reason why I kept watching it was because I kept going, it has to get better. It, so it has it, to get better. Did it run three seasons in total or was there more? Three seasons in total. And so you've seen all of it, not just all of season one. You've seen now the whole series. I have seen this, the entire series. And, and, it, it, and it took a dive, huh? It took the biggest dive. It took oh, a no huge way. dive. And it does was, it just, does it get far-fetched? Like, what, it does, like, it, like, does it break its own rules that it's set up in terms of, like, how far it could push things or what? Well, it just, it got, okay, so it, they, okay, so uh, th this is going to be big spoilers that we're yeah, going uh, Warning to viewers, for sure, I, I don't care. At this point, I'm probably never going to see it, so spoil it away. But, but be warned, listeners. Okay, yeah, so th these are going to be some big spoilers. Okay, so when we get through season two... Right. Um, Will Graham has been hospitalized um, because they think he's crazy. Um, but it's all been this sort of like weird thing going on with Hannibal where he's like done this like weird light therapy to him that's caused him to have seizures and lose time. And so he thinks he murdered somebody. Other people think he think he murdered somebody, but he really didn't. They send him away whole big saga thing right so when we get to the end of this now we're you know we're sort of learning as we're going through this that Hannibal was basically like meeting like being like the serial killer shrinks so if you're like a murderer he's probably your shrink and he's probably encouraging you to kill people so now it's sort of like that was kind of like the aha moment for me about like so okay I already have a question character. so yeah. is it like just the way situations ended up like people who were serial killers ended up being patients of Hannibal Lecter and he just kept manipulating them to keep doing it. Or like he was known as like, you send serial killers to this guy. No, Is I it think just it like, was it just sort of like he randomly got patients who okay. were like serial killers. And not only that, but he did convince people who weren't murderers to kill. So that was also part of it. Oh, his okay. So he like, turned some of them. He that. was able to psych psychologically manipulate them, which is essentially what he did to Will Graham. Okay. I can gotcha. buy it, and I think that it's, like, sort of interesting in the – because I feel like with Silence of the Lambs, for example, we never really understood 
what Lecter was doing apart from being a serial killer. This is now sort of like he is the serial killers of serial killers. You know, he's the support network. He's the one warning serial killers that the cops are coming. Like he is divide. Like this is, this is sort of like why he is the brilliant mind that he is, that the FBI keeps going to, to say, help us with this, help us with this. Right. Um, by the time we get to season three, um, Will has gotten out of the psychiatric ward. It is now clear that Hannibal, you know, is a monster. And so there's like this big, bloody, brutal scene where you think everybody's dead and it turns out they've all survived when we go to season four. But now Hannibal is on the run. He hooks up with his psychiatrist who told him she, who's Jillian Anderson and said, you know, I was we'll never, say that's yeah. Jillian Anderson, right? so it was great to see her again because the, their dynamic was wonderful. But all of a sudden and it's never really clear why she's with him and why she stays with him. And they are now pretending to be a married couple. And he has killed and eaten someone to take on their persona in Italy. And he is some professor and he's basically like kind of killing and eating people throughout Florence, you know, and and it was just so weird because there's like that Mason Verger character that they brought in. And so he's involved in this and he has, you know, he has a contract out for Hannibal. And and then all of a sudden, like Will is like having these weird dreams and he ends up in like Lithuania, which is where Hannibal Lecter is from. And so he goes to the house and there's a, a young woman there that you're like, is this Lecter's sister? But no, it's not that he was so close with. But no, it's not Lecter's sister. Lecter ate his sister. Then who the fuck is she? And then and she get like and so and and they she gets on the train with Will to go to Florence to find him. She throws Will off the train, and so she's almost like Hannibal's guardian angel because she starts like shooting people who are trying to like get to Hannibal. And I mean, it's like this whole thing where like she ends up in the United States with her fucking sniper rifle. How the, how the hell did she get that through security? You know, this was past 2020, 2001. And it just, it just got so convoluted and weird that by the time we got to the point where we see, um, you know, the tooth fairy is, you know, and, and, and who he is, and and it turns is out the Tooth Fairy, the name of a serial killer, or like the actual Tooth Fairy is now a character. The name of the serial killer is the Tooth Just Fairy. Just checking. Yeah. So by and he was the one that was in Silence of the Lambs. So by the time we get to this character, I believe he was the one. I think yeah, he was the one in Silence of the Lambs. So by the, by the time we get to this character, this like iconic character, you know. The the whole thing is just completely like we're I'm already like, well, OK, at least we're out of Europe. But then this part of the storyline gets completely convoluted, too, with, you know, the way they're treating Hannibal. And this guy is now copycatting Hannibal. But it also seems like Hannibal was his shrink and like egging him on to do these deeds. I don't know. And so the whole thing wraps up, OK, with like. Hannibal escaping from 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 the the psychiatric prison and he, which may or may not have been assisted by Will um and then they end up you know at some like beautiful house overlooking this bluff and it's absolutely gorgeous and you're like where the hell did this come from and I guess it was one of Hannibal's properties a secret property that he owned or something I don't know and then the tooth fairy is not dead. They think he's dead. He's not dead. He comes to kill them. They kill him instead. And then all, and then Will grabs Hannibal and throws them both off the bluff. And we assume that they die 
I was like, what the fuck? Is that how season three ends? Yes, that's how they've ended. So with, do you think they were... They're dead. Was the whole thing envisioned to continue, but was just canceled? Like there was probably going to be more continuation for... I think... Some part of this thread? I think they probably knew it was canceled because they killed off, you know, Hannibal Lecter. But what they did do is for the final scene, they have a shot of Gillian Anderson. She has amputated her own leg and she's eating it. <laughs> so I think that yeah. they've set this up so so that it is um, it's going it, if they want to continue it, they can, even though but she's the new big dead, bad. She's is that be the basic? big bad. Yeah, I think that that's what they're sort of getting at. And, you know, the other the other thing that really got me like, OK, I was really squeamish through this whole thing because you would see him kill somebody and then and then he'd like then you'd see him in the kitchen butchering something and you were never sure what it was. And then you'd see him feeding that something to a guest. And so you're, and so you're watching this going, Oh my God, they're eating human flesh and he doesn't even know it. Right. So that was squeamish and like that part was like gross. gross and it was kind of horrific and it had that sort of tense horror movie thing. This was just disgusting. I mean, like, they were, like, ripping, like, lips off of characters and, like, noses and skin. And there was, like, one scene where, oh, my God, poor, oh, fuck, what's his name? Will? No, 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 the actor. Um. Oh, shit. Now I can't think of the actor's name. I want to say Raul Julia, and that is so wrong. Um. It is, uh, shit, um, 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 um. Why can't Ra- Raul Esparza? Oh, um, I forgot. Yeah, he was on that. Yeah. Yeah, plays Chilton. And at one point, like, he. Oh, he's Chilton. Oh, he, okay. Yeah, so his yeah. number's up. Yeah. And he, and he gets attacked and, like, and, like, the guy, like, like, rips his lips off. Like, literally rips his lips off and then lights him on fire and he survives. And you see him, like, and it's just horrific. And you see his, like, bandage bloody nasty body and he's talking and he has no lips and all you can see are teeth and like the rest of him is just burnt to a crisp and it is i mean and so they actually ended up doing they taking and i really think that that just turned it into another sort of like shock horror piece as opposed to the horrific of like somebody eating a human being and they don't realize that to like just being over the top gross. Um, yeah, I again am mildly surprised that the critical reception to it was as effusive as it was, but only mildly surprised. Well, I, I understand why it was if they were watching the first ser- the first season. The first season was yeah, but I mean that like through the end they talk about it as one of the most unjustly canceled too soon shows, and it doesn't sound that unjust. Like, even, it sounds like it went off the rails. Even for because season three went completely off the rails, I thought. I, it made no sense. It was boring. And like I said, the only reason why I kept watching it was because I loved the first two seasons that much. Yeah, I guess I'll just stick to my memories of Manhunter and Silence of the Lambs. Uh, I do want to point out Tooth Fairy is not from Silence of the Lambs, but from Manhunter and also from Red Dragon. <laughs> oh, he, okay. Because uh, that's from that, that novel. Got it. Um, okay. All right. But yeah. still, in the in the world of like the Hannibal Lecter universe, that definitely is like an iconic 
villain nonetheless. Yeah, sorry, my bad. So I guess whenever it came up in my mind, I would question, oh, should I see this? Did I miss something? And I really just think you've answered the question and it's no. No. Uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, it has a good cast that I will happily continue to watch do other things. It has a wonderful cast. It's a brilliant cast. I mean, Richard Armitage showed up. In yeah, he's excellent. I love him. To play Francis Dollarhide and Rutina Wesley was Reba. I mean, like, it was, it was, it, I mean, it's a wonderful cast. Um, it's just, it just, it, it just was just bad. <laughs> it's just bad. Yeah. Um, so on that note, I thought I would talk about something that I watched on Netflix, which is the new series Holst with Ewan McGregor. Yeah. I had no desire to see that. No. Um, we, I mean, we just put it on to put something on basically. And it was only five episodes when I thought it was going to be like 10. And I was curious to see, you know, like Halston had a life. He had some success and, uh, and a name that, you know, has like exceeded his own lifetime. And, um, you know, he was associated with some celebrities and is largely connected to like, you know, the seventies in New York and the studio 54 scene and all of that. Um, and I was like, but what's the through line here? Like, what is the there there that makes it a dramatically purposeful narrative? And there's no there there. It is yeah. it is complete it is completely who cares so what what is the meaning of this? Um, and some of the acting is good. Krista Rodriguez, who plays Liza Minnelli and comes in and out without actually like connecting the context of her life, career, and rising fame to Halston's, who doesn't really seem to have like an obstacle in life. Um, is good and and a theater actor named David Pitu is excellent uh, as a, a fellow designer but like um, you know by and large it's just a lot of people showing up and and hitting their marks in in the purpose of, of nothing new uh, and I think Ewan McGregor uh, I think he should just stay home for a while and 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 think about why he used to like acting because he's been beyond <laughs> he's been beyond hammy and phoning it in now for for a few years for a few prestige vehicles and i used to think he was an extremely talented interesting guy yeah. and now i think there's nothing there so i hope that's a temporary thing uh i don't think he brings anything to this i don't think the writing is particularly good here um so it, it's not completely his fault um, but this is like a really like there's no there's nothing new here. There's nothing to be learned here. Um, you know, there's nothing poignant here. But when it tries to approach some kind of poignancy, it's really just because it's chasing other stories about, you know, like gay people who died of AIDS or designers in the scene who did drugs and contracted AIDS, uh, which is how Halston died. Um, but it really sheds no light on the scene. Um, we don't feel like he lost anything because he couldn't connect to his family. He simply left and headed from Ohio to New York and, and found success. And by the time the action catches up to him, he has already caught success and been linked to famous names like Liza, like Jackie Kennedy. Um, oh, yeah, it's just completely forgettable. So no need to watch. Okay. Yeah, it it was one of those things where I kind of felt like 
they they were just going to dangle a lot of famous faces and that was going to make up as if that would make up for like a lack of a decent script or what have you. Yeah. And the thing is, you don't have very many recognizable actors, which Mm -hmm. is rare for the Ryan Murphy universe. He wasn't hugely involved, but it is his name on it. Um, But it's also the 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 boldface names that are being portrayed here are not that boldface. Uh, you know, you have model designer Elsa Peretti, who actually just passed away in real life recently. Yeah. Uh, but she's not that famous that, like, if you just throw her in here, played by uh, an actress most people don't know, that anyone's going to care. Right. Like, these are people that don't bring that name recognition and audience interest to make it worthwhile when they show up. Right. So, so yeah, pretty forgettable. And we were like, yeah, well, we'll watch this. And then we did something even less rewarding, which is that I think it was that same night, if not that same weekend, because they were released at the same time. We also watched the Netflix film adaptation of The Woman in the Window. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why? Sheltering in place really can't end soon I too watch it. I I have watched all but the last 20 minutes. Um, I wanted to watch it. I rushed because you had said, you know, you'd watched it and wanted to talk about it. So I, I did want to sort of see part of it. I was watching it because I wondered if it was going to be as horrific and awful as the book. And and your verdict having come almost to the end is? Yes. Mine is too. Yes. Yeah. I thought the book was terrible and stupid and full of cheats and tricks and manipulative yes it and was the so movie is and the movie is all of that yeah but also that. like not fun yeah and yeah. I feel like there are times where director Joe Wright is trying to do something perhaps also Tracy Letts who is a small part in the movie and did the adaptation um like there are moments that are not consistent where it looks like they're trying to do something uh, you know, like a little genre shifting and fun, not exactly meta, and like none of it works. Um, I mean, know, it's a ter- it is a terrible waste of time movie. Yeah, let and, not sugarcoat it. It's bad. And, and you and know it what? Kills so me is such. People. Yes, this cast is mind-blowingly brilliant, and it still sucks, and it still sucks. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Um, like with bad CGI to boot like I mean it's just everything about it is bad Uh, we should probably summarize the plot for those of you who have any sort of vested interest in it Uh, feel free to if you want I mean it's you know Anna Fox uh, you know is a drunk and a pill popper um, who is agoraphobic you know she doesn't leave her four story Harlem brownstone. The most enormous, endless, as wide as it is, tall brownstone yeah. I've ever seen. <laughs> I like, mean, it makes the Huxtable off. household look minuscule. I know. And when you look up, it's got this staircase. When you look up, it and it goes on and on and on and on. <laughs> and I was just like, where is this place? <laughs> what is going on? And so anyway... This woman has basically gone mad and she is spying on her neighbors across the street. She thinks she saw um, the the husband and the family murder his wife. 
Um, you know, it turns out that that is actually not quite the case, although somebody has been murdered. Um, and then we also, throughout this whole thing, we also find out that, you know, Anna is also dealing with her own trauma. Her um, husband and her daughter uh, died in a car accident when she was at the wheel. And so she's like, sort of, that has that is apparently what made her agoraphobic. And so, but there's this sort of like weird whodunit quality because she witnesses this murder and, you know, and everyone's saying that's not what happened. Um, and and she can't prove that she's right and they keep proving her wrong. So she does think she's going mad. And eventually it turns out it's the son who's killing everybody. I'm sorry, spoiler. You don't need to watch it. You don't need to read the book. It's kind of a community service. Yeah, I mean, it's a shit. And like, yeah. And this was a big, noteworthy book. Partly infamous because there there was a, a charge that it was plagiarized from someone else's work, which, oh my God, aim higher. Um, well, and there was also the fact that, um, I mean, I, I, I went, to, it was a fascinating read and it's the New Yorker ran a story on, um, on, on Dan Mallory, AKA AJ Finn, who is the author of this book. And, um, Mallory is this sort of huge fan of, um, the talented Mr. Ripley. What's that? Patricia Hightower. or uh, what, who is it? Patricia Highsmith. Highs- not Hightower. Close. Close not enough. Hightower? Patricia Highsmith. Highsmith. Okay. Right, right, right. Okay. It was high something. I'm high. So that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> really. Um, so, yeah. So, so, yeah. So he is actually, and apparently he has this actual talented Mr. Ripley thing going on there was a big uh, piece on it in the new yorker um back in 2019 ian parker wrote it's almost like an expose where they're kind of like going back all over like the little lies and the fibs um that he told over time and how he was actually not really that well loved in the book industry uh people didn't trust him because he was constantly making shit up um, in terms of like just being kind of conniving and 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 suspicious and and lying about himself and his experiences and stuff like that. So um, and he kind of fell from grace. So I don't rem- I, I don't remember exactly what happened to propel it. Maybe it was the plagiarism charge. I think um, the plagiarism charge, as I saw it, came after this was already sold to be a film and i think that might have been what first propelled it okay because i knew about it first as like a film that was going a book that was going to be adapted into a big budget film with amy adams and julianne moore and i think it was after that that i saw the new yorker article okay yeah because i couldn't remember like what how this all unspooled you know, um, with this guy and, and like what, because I just remember all of these stories coming out about him that were just so effusive and everybody was like, you know, he was like the next big thing. And, and I think he got like a feature in the New York times, like all of these fancy publications were writing about him and, and, and how brilliant he was, which I don't understand. Like, did they not read the book? I mean, like what? Um, I was actively angry when I finished that book. <laughs> Still am. Um, and it, it came back. And it came back. Um, 
and and then only to find out that he is just like a, a manipulator and a liar and apparently a plagiarist but yeah i couldn't remember um what what exactly it was that blew him up in terms of like de- destroyed like his his reputation right. after all of this like ridiculous media coverage but yeah it was it was terrible the book and the you don't need to watch it no you don't i mean yeah and this initially i think was intended to be a christmas time holiday release one of those that kind of gets the red carpet treatment as a potential end of year awards contender thriller and then sometimes you see them you're like yeah it's just a popcorn movie popcorn movie and it falls out of the awards discussion and now we sort of watch it differently because it's for free in our living room or bedroom or whatever but um i mean i would have been more annoyed had i spent time and money to see this in a theater and for you even more time because you would have to camp out like six hours ahead of time to claim i know yeah it would have been even more frustrating but the bottom line is it's yeah it's manipulative uh thriller making that has an unreliable uh protagonist and narrator and therefore everything about the movie is done to disorient the viewer, but it's a waste of time because it's not developing anything. It's, it's just going around a hamster wheel until you get to the end where everything will be revealed, which isn't, you know, that's not the height of good writing, particularly not good genre writing. It's not really like they're planting seeds. They're just planting red herrings and, and disorientation. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it turns out it's the kid. And it just is sort of like, okay. Oh, you're really spoiling everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you've basically come to the end. You've you've seen enough. And listeners, if you had any interest, you've heard enough. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. uh, I mean, like, uh, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry and Wyatt Russell and... Did you say Gary Oldman? I mean, great cast. It's a great cast. And, you know, the thing that really sort of Some of whom hold their own better in this, uh, and some of whom are lost at sea. Yeah. And that, what really got me, too, was the fact that he made the kid, you know, even in the book, like, it was like, okay, so the big bad is going to be the kid. And like you said, like, whatever whatever shit they're sprinkling, the, the breadcrumbs, they all turn out to be red herrings. And there was absolutely nothing that would tip us off that it would be this child. Right. You just have to wait, which is like, well, then that's that's filler. That is not appropriate storytelling. Yeah. I mean, it was just kind of, um, you know, it it was one of those things I felt the same way about A Cabin in the Woods. Oh, yeah. You know, some uh, actually a friend of mine just posted on Facebook something about it and, and, you know, how brilliant it was because it had that sort of like horror movie thing. But then like halfway, like you think you're watching a horror movie and then halfway through you're like, you realize that it's like all of the heart, like it's all a setup, you know? Um, and I remember being so angry about that. And I guess to sort of take his point about how that was like a brilliant twist and, oh my God, that was so good. I don't know. I, I felt duped and I was just kind of like, oh, come on. I was actually just enjoying the horror movie as a horror movie and yeah. then do this yeah. layer and I don't want this. That's not what I want. You know, I feel like you've broken the contract. <laughs> yeah, I see that a lot with like limited series now that TV movies that are mysteries or or maybe like debut seasons of things which are uh which are mysteries and it's usually like who done it there was a murderer and everyone on the canvas is a suspect and then at the end we will tell you who did it but really it's not we're planting the seeds 
and mm-hmm. and hiding them in place as much as we're withholding. And I'm like, but that's a cardinal sin of the genre writing. Like you still have to write. You don't waste time until you get to the finish. You have to build to the finish and the building blocks matter. So yeah. I've seen that I've seen that a lot, especially now that the new trend isn't about world building as much as it is like you have a limited series, you have five episodes or seven or eight or whatever it is. And it's like, you give us a couple cliffhangers that don't really amount to anything. And then at the end of the penultimate episode, or you wait until the final episode, you tell all, and now you introduce things for the first time. It's like, that's bad writing. That's shame on you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, but I can talk about something that I had a much more and am having a much more positive response to. Oh, good. Would. The HBO Max show Hacks with Gene Smart. Yeah. Um, who's Tell me having that. an essence, as the kids say, uh, because she's also on the HBO series uh, Mayor of Easttown, which I will talk to and see if it falls victim to any of those tropes I mentioned um, after the final episode airs. Uh, but Jean Smart plays what a lot of people want to liken to a Joan Rivers type character. She's a very well-known, very established, well-respected comedian of a certain age who also makes some money. She She's based in Vegas, has a residency in Vegas, is divorced, has a daughter, uh, also makes money by, by doing a line on QVC, which Joan Rivers did do. Um, you know, she's also like... You got DNA of Elaine Boozler, uh, several other comedians that came through the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, And she ends up being forced to take on a young Gen Z comedy writer uh, named Ava, played by an actress named Hannah Einbinder. Now, I'm four episodes in. I think the season has 10. So where we are so far, and I'm kind of thinking it will shift gears a little bit is I mean, the episode and I love this has, I mean, excuse me, the series has the younger character, the Ava character be so obnoxiously in her own world and be so Gen Z about dismissing everything that like came a day before her the whole like everything that existed before me should be burnt down and that old kind of humor sucks and what's to be respected about this or that and the show's pretty good about taking that and like then making her mock herself and shooting that down and at the same time mostly respecting the character played by Jean Smart and a lot of that comes from the fact that Jean Smart who is this four decade veteran um of tv and of comedy is kind of getting her like just desserts uh well i should say that has a negative connotation but she's she's getting the same like career appreciation in this character that kind of came to Catherine o'hara with schitt's creek where everyone mm. stops and is like oh i love jean smart and she can do no wrong which is something i've been saying for 30 years um and so it's great because the the veteran character that Gene Smart plays is rich and has a little bit of entitlement and a little bit of um, uh, like like quirkiness to her, but is mostly of a character who who is steeped in gravitas, like Gene mm-hmm. Smart's performances have always been. So there's a lot of innate respect for her and a lot of innate disrespect 
for the the way that the younger comedy writer goes about things. But I have a feeling at some point they're going to kind of even the deck uh, and find like poke some more holes in the older character and maybe support some of where the younger character comes from. I'm kind of not here for that because I just love how they're always taking down the younger one because, uh, I mean, like, everything she espouses is kind of like everything I hate from, from like, people who, you know, like, live on Twitter and have something catty to say, but it's not really new or clever um, or productive. Uh, so so I kind of like it. And uh, to her credit... The younger actress, Hannah Einbinder, who's like 24 or 25 herself, and is the daughter of Lorraine Newman and a comedy... Lorraine Newman, she did Coneheads on SNL. Um, she was one of the early Saturday Night Live performers. Okay. Um, and her dad d- does comedy writing. Like, she kind of came up through that world herself. I think she does a fine job portraying a character who is I just find, like, no sympathy for. <laughs> um, but I think she, I think she plays it really, really well uh, as it's written um i thought i was gonna hate the show i thought i was gonna find it so cringe inducing but i actually find myself like i can't wait for the next week to come around um because i'm so curious to see how they develop this relationship and also yeah to see gene smart get another career defining role she's already had a few including on 24 and watchmen and and frazier so um you know i've always thought she was one of the greats. It's nice to see HBO kind of second that. And she's gotten a lot of great press. Yeah, she has. Um, saluting her. So I don't want to, you know, repeat any of that. But I will, as I, you know, end it, I'll, I'll leave with this. Something no one has talked about is an actually great, small, dramatic performance she's uh, given. And that's in a film called Guinevere from 1999 with Stephen Ray of The Crying Game. Mm. Uh she plays the character is a mother whose daughter, Sarah Polly, uh, is in a May December romance with a much older man, and that's Stephen Ray. And she has one scene where she just tears into him. Uh, it's one of the great monologues I've ever seen. Uh, certainly one of the best performances of that year. Um, and it's a movie that time has completely forgotten about. Um, I don't even know how you can find it, but Gene Smart in the movie Guinevere is as close to perfection as we have ever gotten, except for everything else she's ever done. So if you can't find that and you have HBO Max, I recommend Hacks like higher than I ever thought I would. And I'll revisit these thoughts uh, a few weeks later when I finish the season. But it's the one that as the week, you know, as we wait our way through the week, we're always like, is Hacks available yet? Can we watch Hacks? So we will continue to watch that. Excellent. So, yeah, I think you are a trooper because I know it is past your bedtime. Um, and I just want to point out that Hannibal, Halston, and Hacks all begin with H.A. How crazy is that? So, again, there you go. Woman in the window fucking shit up again. <laughs> Bunch of creeps. Um, so, so, yeah, I guess the takeaway from tonight is... Watch hacks and nothing else. We've uh, done no, the, unless we've done can, our research. Unless you can find Guinevere, because I just looked well, it up, and it is a cast and a half. Yeah, Holy it's a really shit. great 
Like those middle of the road kind of domestic movies have no life anymore. You can't even find them on streaming. Um, but but yeah, it is an example of like what you could do with a really good script and a really good cast and a really good director. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow, that's pretty wild. Now I really want to see it. But yeah, you're right. It's one of those things we're never gonna see. You know, if we ever had if we had the video store, maybe. But <sighs> gone the way of the dodo. All right, I'm gonna go to bed. All right. It's time. You guys take care. Have a happy and safe Memorial Day weekend. And um, hopefully we'll have some, you know, more positive stuff to say next week when when it's June, believe it or not. Wow. And we return to the boulevard. So take care till then and we'll, we'll see you back then.